Don't you love the Word of God? Don't you love the stories that are so rich? Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of transitioning going on in your your leadership here, and uh, it's kind of neat that Pastor Nick asked me to speak while he's gone. But this is uh, this is a third part. Uh, we're going through the book of Mark, but we've come to an area that there's three stories that are intertwined. And Pastor Nick started off two weeks ago uh, when he was speaking, I wasn't here, but he was speaking about Jesus calming the storm when the disciples were in the boat with him and they were fearing uh, for their lives. Uh, in this story, we see Jesus revealed as God himself because only God can heal, or only God can calm the storm. Uh, and then Pastor Velma picked up the same sort of series uh, last week, and she spoke about, in the beginning of Mark, uh, chapter 5, about the healing of the demon-possessed man, and she reveals God's power in the binding of the strong man. And so today, we come to the conclusion of this, uh, and we, we get to look at not only his power to heal, but his power to raise from the dead. So as we dive into the story, uh, once again we see Jesus is pressed by crowds. Uh, he's had a busy, busy day. You think about what he's just done. Like he's traveled across the ocean in the middle of a storm, a uh, sea in the middle of a storm, and everybody thought they were going to die except him. He calms the sea, gets out of a boat. And he's immediately oppressed by a demon-possessed man who comes yelling at him to leave him alone. And he binds the spirits and casts them out. And the people of the village don't want nothing to do with him now. So he gets back in the boat and he goes back across the sea. And he gets out of the boat again and what happens is we find this large crowd is gathering. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's thronged by these crowds. His popularity is just like at all-time highway now. Um, nobody had cell phones and text messages weren't happening, but word of mouth was going around. Everybody knew where he was and they wanted to be around him. This guy was popular, right? Everyone wanted to be, everyone wanted to be near him. But it's not just everybody that's in this crowd, though. At the beginning of the story, we see he's thronged by a crowd of people. His disciples are with him. But there's one notable person, his name is Jairus. And we read that Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He's a very important person of the time. Uh, there's no mention that Jairus is a disciple of Jesus. Through, through the scriptures, we do see certain people that believe in him or come to believe in him. Uh, we're not told that about Jairus. We only see that he comes and begs Jesus to lay hands on his daughter. We see later in the story that people from his own household show up and they refer to Jesus as the teacher, which was very common. Through these scriptures, we see Jesus being referred to as the teacher. But we don't hear him being called the Son of God. Um, I found, even in preparing yesterday, I was trying to take myself back because we know Jesus is the Son of God. We know who he is. We have that privilege, we have the ability to think about at this time. Even his disciples weren't really 
clued in on who he was until he calmed the storm, the storm in this very uh, series of, of the story. Like, so they just saw him calm the storm, and it says that they fell in reverence of him. Like, who is this that actually controls the seas? They're just starting to clue in. So people are hearing about the healing that he's doing, and they're coming, and now this religious leader is there. He falls at his feet. Um, and again, I love scripture because it's so rich, and I've taught on this. I've, I've read this story, I don't know how many times, but I was looking at this story as a father. Jairus wasn't there as a religious leader. He didn't come in with pomp and circumstance and his robes falling all over him. He's just identified as Jairus, ruler of the synagogue. I see a man, a father, coming to implore Jesus to save his daughter's life. That's who I see. And the other cool thing, Jesus doesn't hesitate. You catch that? Jairus comes and falls at his feet and says, Can you, I want you to come and lay your hands on my daughter that she may live. And Jesus just goes. He just, let's go. We're on our way. Okay, another cool thing about the Bible, story interrupted. <laughs> That's my head. In the middle of the story about Jairus and his daughter and great crowds crowding around them, we're suddenly ambushed with another story, a story within a story, about a woman desperate to reach him. Uh, we quickly get her backstory. She's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She's suffered under many physicians. Uh, can you imagine the physicians back then? What you would have to go through? We think stone ages and leeches and such, but what were they going through back then? Uh, it says that she spent all that she had to become well, and instead of getting better, she grew worse. She's tried everything. She's endured countless procedures. She's literally broke the bank to be, in, to be made well, uh, to be made whole. And all her efforts have achieved is finding herself broken, penniless, um, and worse shape than when she began. And like the others that are in the crowd, she's heard the stories of Jesus. She's wondering, what can what can he do for me? Uh, she's desperate. It's her last ditch effort, and she presses through the crowd, trying to reach this guy that she's heard about. Again, I'm thinking, does she, know, does she know that he's the Son of God? He's the one disciples are just figuring this out. But she knows that he's went from town to town and he's healed people, and so she's putting her faith in this man that's healed others. And there's stories, there's rumors. Could he be the Messiah? Put yourself in her place. This is not just someone in a crowd that's trying to get near him. Did you read what was wrong with her? She has an issue of blood. I don't know what that is. I don't want to hypothesize. It just says she has an issue of blood. But if you go back in Leviticus and you read about the purity laws, she is considered unpure right now. So the same as a leper, you would have to cry out in the crowd saying, leper coming through, you have to get out of the way um, because I don't want to make you unclean. This woman is in the same boat. So she's pressing through this crowd, not announcing that she's unclean. 
again, preparing for this service this morning, just God has made me, caused me to think so many different things. Uh, she's sneaking through a pattern. She's not identifying herself with what is going on. She's secretly pressing in, believing that if she only touches his garment, she'll be made whole. So her faith is that strong that she's going to risk this. But her fear is also that great. Because what are the punishments of doing that? She could be stoned in that. My next heading, it works. She reaches Jesus. She touches his clothes. Bam! She's healed. It's end of story. Let's go home. This is a quick message, right? No, there's more to it. We're told immediately she feels that her body's been made well. But she's not the only one that felt it. It says that Jesus felt power go out of him. And he turns and he asks, Who touched my garments? Hoga, I loved your reading this morning. Because I'm going to say that disciples are like, Are you crazy? Jesus, look at how they've been around us. How are we supposed to figure out who touched you? But just one look at the crowd, he said, Who touched my garments? And the woman felt conviction in her heart. She, the one that just took this healing without even asking. Think about that one. She stole power from Jesus. But she was that desperate. She, the one that was breaking ceremonial laws of being unclean. Not only is she breaking the law about herself, though, in this law, touching Jesus would actually make him unclean. So it's, it's really bad. Like this, some, some people call him teacher. Some people call him rabbi. Uh, a rabbi can't be around dead people or unclean people or he becomes impure for, I think, seven days. So that would just mess up his plans, right? But Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is greater than any purity law. Instead of him becoming unclean, the woman becomes clean. That's my God. And though she's initially afraid, like the disciples in the boat in the calming of the sea, she falls in reverence also. And she begins to realize it's the power of God that just made her well. Only God could heal her. Is she in trouble for doing this now? For sneaking in? Causing everybody around her to become unclean? No. Jesus looks down at her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The very act of him calling her daughter uh, accepts her into the family of God, just like you and I. So instead of being an outcast now, she's part of the family of God. She's been brought in. He welcomes her into the family of God. She not only receives physical healing, but also she's spiritually restored. She can go out in crowds once again. Can you imagine that 12 years she hasn't been able to do that? And now she's been healed and she's been restored. That's my God. Thank you, Jesus. Jairus' story continued. Remember the story that we started with? The official, the religious official, his daughter's sick. We're back on that one again. So just as quickly as we interrupted in the first place, no sooner has Jesus finished saying, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. People come from Jairus' house to announce 
your daughter's dead. So in one instance, you have this daughter being healed and restored. In this other instance, daughter, you're dead. What a change. What a change in the story. The story all of a sudden filled with hope. All of a sudden you have death. What is going on here? Why would you record this? Jesus hears the meekness and he addresses the fear. He says, do not fear when we believe. And then I found this is another thing that I've read this so many times. But this is another cool thing Jesus does. Instead of letting the crowds follow him this time, he stops them. You read that? He only takes three of his own disciples. He doesn't take the whole crew. He just takes three guys. He says, you guys have to stay here now. No more distractions. We're getting serious. He takes three of his crew, and they go back to this father's house. They arrive. He says, there's a huge commotion. People are wailing. That was the custom back then. Everybody just wails. Have you ever seen that on TV? They're just wailing and wailing. Jesus tells them to stop this nonsense. The girl's only sleeping. What do they do? They laugh at him. What does Jesus do? He dismisses them. Get out of this house. Kicks them out. I love when Jesus does that. Jesus arrives and sees them. Cast out all doubt. No doubt in this house. Taking only his three guys and the parents of the girl, he goes into her room. Once again, ignoring purity laws. He looks at the still lifeless form and he grabs her by the hand. And he says to leave the kumi, arise. And she wakes up from the dead. He, tell him, he tells him, give her something to eat. This is another display of his power and authority. He raises a girl from the dead. He reveals himself as God, not only the God that heals, just like in the, original, in, in the earlier part of the story, but God the giver of life. Through these lessons that we've been reading the past few weeks, we, we see Jesus revealed as God. He calms the physical and the spiritual storms in our lives. He binds Satan and the works that he does to ensnare us, freeing us to live restorative and wild lives. And we are healed and raised to life eternal through our faith in him. I just thank you, Lord, that you have these incredible stories of hope and love for us. God, the giver of life. God, the giver of hope. God, our healer. We pray for those who are sick here today that you would receive that healing from God. Our faith rises up like the woman who oppressed through a crowd and fear, uh, or overcome her fear of just her belief. That she would risk all just to be near him. Would you risk all just to be near Jesus? Would you cast out all doubt this morning? I pray you will. Um, I'm going to close my message here, but I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts this morning as we come to uh, communion.